welcome to Our Parents Did What? A Tour of the Parenting Perils of Yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. Hey, Diane, how are you? Hi, I'm great. That's good. Did you enjoy this lovely day? (gasps) Oh my God, you have no idea. Can I just tell you this is actually going to be my mom moment should we segue right in or let's just let's just go right in play the music so my dad and my stepmom are fully vaccinated yay how exciting congratulations thank you so they're still wearing masks around us just to be safe, but they're comfortable watching Rini. So they've been coming back. I had not seen them since November. So that was <gasps> really nice. I didn't know that. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Wow. I would see them briefly, briefly outside, but this mm-hmm. is like the first time they've come into my house. Oh my goodness. In a really long time. And so Rini's thrilled. I'm thrilled. And it's a huge help because I'm slowly starting to do some more like in-person singing gigs it's all like Mm -hmm. like masks on like separated like you know all the protocols the world is right now yeah right and it's like a lot of live streamed masses and things like that but i have to be out of the house more than i have ever been in the past year so like Mm -hmm. this morning i had to sing a a mass and so my dad and Lori were able to come and watch rini so the mass ended up being super short because with all the covid protocols and stuff like it just it goes by really quick Mm -hmm. so in like 40, 45 minutes, I was out of there. And sometimes it's like an hour and 15 minutes. So mm-hmm. I knew they were watching Rini till like 12 and Chuck was teaching. So I got myself a coffee. I got a car wash. Ooh. Ooh <laughs> I like, sexy. I, clean, I know. I cleaned my car out and I, I went to get a car wash and like sat outside with my coffee, waited for them to wash my car. Oh my word! Best morning ever, and then (laughs) I got home just in time for nap time. Mm. Chuck put her down for a nap, and I went on a two-mile run. (gasps) Oh, I'm Diane, living the dream. Could my day get any better? I mean, I love my daughter. I love spending time with her. But (laughs) of course, I love spending time with my kids too. But you know what? Absence truly does make the heart grow fonder when it it comes to children. (laughs) It really does. Like you don't realize it. Yeah. But I I spent like most of the day doing stuff for me, which was really nice. So then that's great. When I I had two lessons in the afternoon, and when I finished teaching those, I turned to Chuck and I was like, "Why don't you go out on your bike?" just go take a bike ride and I'm going to hang out with Rini. I'll give her a bath. And we had like, you know, sauce cooking on the stove. That was just simmering. I was like, go. So then he went out for an hour and a half bike ride. So we both got like our me time today. That's so good. Perfect day. I don't know. It was -hmm. was great. So that's great. It's important, I think, for moms, especially to have that me time. And with COVID, it's been nearly impossible for a lot of us, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully this is the light at the end of the tunnel for many of us. I know. My goodness. We're just ugh, just waiting. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how how much – like if patience is like a cup of coffee – it's amazing how at the beginning of the day, like, like there's just no, there's just nothing in there, and and if you <laughs> and <laughs> and if you just get some time away, it it'll just fill right back up. It's and crazy. Then, like, you can go and do bath time, and you can do. It's amazing how like the the like whatever it is that needs to happen inside your brain to make you go. I love spending time with my kids, and that is just not there when you've spent 
days and days and days straight with them. And then you get like an hour off and then you come back and you're like, oh, God, I love being a mom. Yeah. But if you don't have that hour off, it's like <laughs> the drudgery is just it's horrible. <laughs> it's 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 almost oh, yeah. impossible. Yeah. It's amazing. What about you? So my day was really interesting. I had a day – so I – today was beautiful. It was just like – it felt like 75 degrees out up here even so though it was nice. probably like in the high 50s. But the sun was really warm and I had just a day full of helpers. I had just like all the help from the kids. And usually that results in things taking much longer. But wonder of wonder, miracle of miracles, today, everything my children helped me with made things go faster. It was amazing. So today, I laid out my garden for the year, and it was a relatively large undertaking, and and Liam could see that I was mounding compost and then, like, putting dirt on top of that compost and, like, you know, and doing all these different steps. And he was like, I need to be involved in this. I can see mom is picking up leaves and putting them into this container. I shall now pick up leaves and put them into this container. And he was just so sweet. Right before I came down, he started crying at the dishwasher. And I was like, what is wrong? What do you need? And he was like, open, open and like hitting it. And I opened it and he just starts taking things out and handing them to me. Like, I just really need to empty the dishwasher right now, mom. I was like, okay. I love really it. Cute. I'll help you. And and it was like 735 and I was like, okay, I now have to go downstairs. Like we've we've emptied it. Good job. Way to go. High five. And he was like, no, no. And starts grabbing dirty things off the counter to try to put it in. And I was like, Joe, you have to can you please fill the dishwasher with Liam? I have to go. And he was like, you have to fill it with him when you're done. Jen. And I was like, I don't have time. Mommy's busy. I have to go record. And then Emma helped me transplant all of my seedlings that were inside that had outgrown their containers. And we had to make a seedling mix from scratch with like, you know, three or four different things that we had to mix together and emma is like all about the experiments that's right so for her she was like we're gonna take this brick like this hard brown brick and put water on it it's gonna expand into dirt and then we're gonna put these white fluffy styrofoamy things in them and then we're gonna put in these gold flakes awesome and then i get to stir it in a big pot sign me up so she was just like there for it and it really helped which was really great because usually it takes a lot longer to do that's with the kids, really sweet it's really nice yeah you have to like soak in those good days i know I when know. they happen because like i don't know it's it's very special <laughs> it's special it's it's rare <laughs> it's rare it is rare it is rare, rare but it's 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 it like it's so special that it makes up for all the oh yeah the times oh, yeah. when it's crazy not so great yeah so it's really it, it's funny because when i was a kid Maybe this is just me, but I feel like when I was a kid, most of the time everything was really, really good and every so often something really bad would happen. So my brain would dwell on the really bad things. And now that I'm an adult, most of the time things are really stressful and difficult and hard. And so when like this rainbow day happens where everything goes well, my brain's just like, oh, this is one of the rare times. So then my brain, whenever I have to think back on like the last year, the last two years, all I can think of are these really wonderful moments. Yeah. So it's really nice how that happened. That is nice. I always thought I was a pessimist when I was young, but that's not true. (laughs) No, I don't think so. (laughs) 
Okay, so what are you telling me about today? Okay, so when we started this podcast, we thought this was going to be this fun, funny thing to do, right? Uh I don't think we ever expected that this one topic would keep coming up and coming up and coming up in everything we do. Can you guess what it is? Uh, I, no, I can't. Is it it like child abandonment? No. No, no, but something like just as sinister. Some some sort of abuse. Eugenics. Eugenics! (laughs) It just like keeps coming up. Oh my gosh, it does. It's everywhere. I'm so excited. Well, I'm not doing eugenics. Hold on. Oh, you're not. Oh, I was like, get ready for eugenics. Actually, that that would have been a better segue, so sorry. Spoiler alert. I feel like you've I feel like you you've just pulled the rug out from underneath me. No, but it's it has to do with eugenics. Okay. It's it's, right, it's like enough. eugenics adjacent. <laughs> but I'm so fascinated by eugenics that I've been looking up lots of topics that have to do with eugenics, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so many. Because it's like it's unbelievable. And then the other reason I chose this topic is because I feel like a lot of the things I generally gravitate towards historically in parenting are things that are like the history of like white middle class parenting because that's like mm-hmm. how I grew up and like who I am. I'm a white middle class lady, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, let me see if I can find something that's not white centered that we can talk about because I think that's really important to bring up. Yep. So I tried to choose something or think of something that would be centered around, you know, people of color. And I was listening to NPR, which I do every morning, Mm -hmm. and they were doing this story on the forced sterilization of the women of Puerto Rico. And so I was like, oh, this is interesting, and started going down that rabbit hole. So today I am doing the forced sterilization and birth control trials that were done on the women of Puerto Rico. Holy moly. Diane. I always pick these heavy topics. I, I don't know it's why. Okay. I do too sometimes, but like this is a really good one for a lot of reasons. Yeah. But yeah, I recently read something about this topic because it was adjacent to something else I was researching and I was just like, oh man, people are the worst. The absolute worst. <laughs> just the worst. The justifications that people tell themselves to make them feel better about doing these horrible things is like, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. So- Let's dive in, shall we? Yay. So in 1965, a survey of Puerto Rican residents found that about one third of Puerto Rican mothers who were ages 20 to 49 were sterilized. Mm. One third. Oh, my word. So to put that in context from one of the articles I was reading, women of childbearing age in Puerto Rico in the 1960s were more than 10 times more likely to be sterilized than like than other women in the united states Mm -hmm. that's what that figure means so people were very shocked by these findings so i think as time went on they started investigating what happened why is this happening and it really didn't come to light really everything that went on until like i want to say like the early 2000s yeah that's too long i know so what happened Mm -hmm. um between the 1930s and the 1970s, that is when approximately one third of the population of women in Puerto Rico were sterilized. So it was in that time frame that a lot of this happened. 
it was the highest rate of sterilization in the entire world. Oh, ever? I believe so, yes. Oh, my God. Because sterilization is like, especially in communities of color, like it's just is rampant. Yeah, I think it's the highest rate probably in like such a short period of time. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm sure like per capita, it was the, certainly... Like yeah, because I mean, three. When you think about Jesus. how big Puerto Rico is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. So, the legalization of contraception in Puerto Rico and the Puerto Rican government's passage of this law that allowed sterilization to be conducted, uh, this was all decided by a eugenics board. <laughs> Can you believe this? A eugenics oh board. Like they weren't holding. They didn't think it was a bad thing oh at my all. God. Yeah. Eugenics was like just the thing. Yeah. The science of the day. I know. So that happened in 1937. This eugenics board passed law 116 and it signified the institutionalization of the population control program. I know it just like it makes you cringe. But the program was intended to, and I'm going to quote, catalyze economic growth and respond to depression era unemployment. (sighs) The Depression just, like, I don't know, it ruined a lot of things and many, many lives. And this is just one more example of that. Yeah, and I think it's sterilization of a specific population of people Mm -hmm. under the guise of trying to help these people pull themselves out of poverty, when really what they were trying to do is just eliminate these people entirely. Yeah. No, it's not great. (laughs) So soon after this, like, law was passed... Uh, a program that was endorsed by the U.S. government began sending health department officials to the most rural and, you know, economically disadvantaged parts of the island advocating for sterilization as the best option for not finding yourself, you know, with a ton of kids that you have to feed and not having a way to feed them. So uh, by 1946, postpartum sterilizations happened very frequently in Puerto Rican hospitals, so frequently that it was simply referred to as... La operación, which just means the operation. Good, nonetheless. They referred to sterilization as just the operation, and people knew what you were talking about. It's so bad. That's awful. I know. It's horrible. And apparently there's a 1982 documentary named Mm. La operación, and it reveals like the whole controversial history of the family planning, in quotation marks, movement in Puerto Rico. And how really it ended up, like, just devastating the island. It was not a good thing. Yeah, of course. Was Puerto Rico already a part of the United States at that point? Ooh, that's in my notes, but I didn't get there yet. Hold on. Oh, sorry. No, 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 it's okay. 1917. Oh, okay. All right. So so basically, the United States had a eugenics board. <laughs> so a bunch of white folks <laughs> yep. in the U.S., who were in charge of the political landscape, for the most part, in Puerto Rico, decided... That was 20 years. That was 20 years after they became a U.S. territory when that happened. Yeah. Oh, my word. Yeah. It was like, oh, what do we do about this place? Let's just just make fewer of them. There we go. It's so bad. Good Lord. Yeah. I feel very bad for Puerto Rico in, in many respects. Because I feel oh my like God. we're just very, very bad to them. Yes. Horrible. And I, I mean, I don't know much about the the politics of everything, and I'm not going to claim mm-hmm. to, but yeah. um, I know that, you know, citizens of Puerto Rico, I think it's hard to even find 
the right information about the pros and cons of being a U.S. territory or deciding not to be a U.S. territory and all that stuff, I think it's um, it's like a big point of contention when they're electing officials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's just so complicated. And it's complicated for a reason. Yeah. If, if it was easy, they'd have a better better situation. <sighs> exactly. So – Sterilization. Back to our fun, upbeat topic. (laughs) Um, Sterilization efforts were were so prevalent that they were like completely intertwined with women's work lives because families were so poor and women had to work. So family planning clinics were like cropping up inside factories so Mm. that they would provide free sterilization for you know, workers who needed to work and, you know, didn't want to end up having kids and having to leave work. And that was all thanks to a USAID grant. Ugh, gross. Yeah. So the U.S. gave these grants to these, like, you know, factories and workplaces. Hey, we'll offer you free sterilization if you work here. Jesus. When are we going to start paying reparations to Puerto Rico? For real. It's 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 absolutely unbelievable and, and disgusting when you think that this is real. This actually happened. And it wasn't that long ago. No, that was not. Th- I mean, people who were impacted by this are still alive today. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, essentially, Puerto Rican women became like the guinea pigs for different family planning experiments and trials yeah. and eventually for developing the modern birth control pill, as we will get to. Oh, my goodness. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> so the first mass produced birth control pill was called Enavid. Okay. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. People called it the wonder pill. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was game changing, you know? It, yeah, it of ushered course. in like this new era for women that they had autonomy over their bodies and it completely changed what they were able to do in their lives. Yeah. But a lot of people don't know this dark history. We just think of it as this wonderful innovation. But in order to get there, there were a lot of unethical things that happened, as is a lot of the time. Yes. Science is. it's it's a wonderful wonderful thing but also it does really terrible things to get to the good stuff i wonder what they'll look back on and and think you know oh that was really unethical that we don't even bat an eye at or maybe we don't know yeah that we just haven't thought about yet and you know because certainly being racist was much more socially acceptable in the 1930s Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I think we're already at a point where most people are like, factory farming is pretty terrible. But I think in like 50 years, people will look back at factory farming like, oh, those people were truly barbaric. Yeah. (laughs) Because we'll have like lab grown meat and animals won't have to die to make food. So I agree. So back to our pill, Enovid. Everybody in mainland, you know, United States was very excited to get this pill. No one had any idea that its clinical trials took place not in the mainland United States, but in Puerto Rico, where poor women were given an extremely strong formula of the drug without being told they were taking part in a trial and without being told any of the risks or side effects they might be facing. Oh, my goodness. And we know for a fact that three women died during this secretive testing but their deaths were never investigated. No autopsies were ever done. So we don't know if they died due to the experiments, but we just know they died during that time frame. Oh, my goodness. 
<sighs> so the, the history of the pill, we all know, I think, started with Margaret Sanger from Planned Parenthood, right? She was the first real big proponent for birth control for women, and she was willing to break laws to get women reproductive rights, which in that respect, she was incredible and trailblazing, but in other respects, not so much. You know, in 1916, she opened the nation's first birth control clinic. She was arrested for distributing information on contraception. She was put on trial for breaking the law in New York. But she was also a big proponent of... Eugenics! Eugenics, yes! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know, there's some good and some bad there. She's a really controversial figure, and even historians um, kind of, like, argue about Yes, she was into eugenics, but like how far and what did she really believe? But yeah, who's to say? I know. It's like Aunt Pat. Yes. Who believed that like (laughs) black women shouldn't have sex with white men to have babies because like they would die from having to like give birth to a white baby. (laughs) She's like, that's not how bodies work. I guess her intentions were like, I'm looking out for you. I know, right? So so I really feel like sometimes people's, like, what they think is right is just misplaced. So I wonder if that's the case for this woman, that, like, she thought that what she was doing was the right thing. And I mean, most people think that what they're doing is the right thing. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's tricky. I think the most important thing that's going on nowadays, not to get too off topic, is mm-hmm. that hopefully people, when they... When they do think they're doing something for the right reason and someone says, no, you're not, that, that we can look internally and and yeah. accept and sit with that discomfort and say, oh, maybe I thought this was what I was doing, but it's not. And I need to yeah. examine inside myself, right? Yeah, what my, what my motives are and what my, you know, where did I get these ideas from? I know if you're a very... If you're a very introspective and thoughtful person, I think then that that is the approach you take, but... Not not all people are. No, and no one was asking those questions back then. So nope, no, nope. There's that, but but I think the most important thing about Margaret Sanger is that she believed that women would never be truly free until they had the ability to control their own bodies, which I think we all agree with. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, um, in her eyes, um, eugenics would get rid of undesirable groups of people. And would make way for, I guess, what she believed were, like, the most fit people and the most fit parents and et cetera. Um, But who she viewed as undesirable were the mentally and physically defective and the extremely poor. Yes. Yep. That that was pretty common. Yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, Sanger argued that birth control could help wipe out what she called the greatest present menace to civilization, people living in extreme poverty and those with mental illnesses and physical disabilities. Oh my goodness, I just feel like that's not how that's not how anything works. I know, it's bad. It's hard to argue that your intentions are good when you say something like that. Yeah. It's really hard because like if you if you actually believe that all physical and mental disabilities could be wiped out by just not allowing anyone with physical or mental disabilities from reproducing. You're just misinformed. That's not how any of that works. <laughs> that not all things are genetic. Right. Or some things are, but like 
a person doesn't necessarily have to have one of those things to be able to pass on a gene that would give somebody else that like it's just right. so and I know people just didn't know that then but like that's not how that works and then the idea that just making it impossible for poor people to reproduce would end poverty is just foolish it's foolish yeah in a capitalist society there will always be poor people always that's how it has yep. to be there's it's no really way around unfortunate. that that it has to be that way but like the idea that like it's poor people's fault and that they have to be punished like oh my god it's fine i'm fine <laughs> it's 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 so bad i know i also think the the main issue here aside from like being misinformed is just the the very prevalent idea back then that certain lives were worth more than other lives. And I think we're still experiencing oh, that yeah. problem, right? Mm-hmm. But um, the idea that that the mentally or physically disabled were somehow like less than human, which mm-hmm. is not, I mean, it, which is insane. Ugh. It is insane. But want to know what's even more insane? What I'm about to tell you. Oh, no. <laughs> At the time, the female reproductive system was still largely a mystery to scientists. I read that in an article, and I just wanted to like. I, I, but I don't understand. Yeah, like, like I mean, and this is another thing that I think about quite often is that like, the inside of bodies are very complicated, and the way that a baby actually is built and made over time is so complex and mm-hmm. so fascinating. How did we figure that out without doing really horrible things to figure it out? Well, I'm actually about to read a book (laughs) called um, Medical Bondage. Hold on. I'll get you the full name because I think you'll be interested. I'm going to read it with my book club. They don't know it yet. So spoiler alert, book club. This is what we're reading next. (laughs) (laughs) It's called... Medical Bondage, Race, Gender, and the Origins of American Gynecology. And it's basically how the current science of gynecology and obstetrics was built on abusing and torturing and operating on slaves and black people with Um, no anesthesia so um, that they could essentially experiment till they figured out what was going on down there. Oh, my God. Like, the picture I had in my head of how they figured that out was nowhere near that horrible. Yeah. Oh, my God. How? Oh. I know we're getting off topic, but it sounds like a fascinating book, so I'm, I'm really excited to read it. Oh, my word. Yes. I'll make sure I link it in the in the show notes. Haven't read it yet, but I, I heard it's good, so. Yeah. I just, oh, white people. White people, we are the worst. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> It's okay. Deep it's breath. Fine. Deep breath. We're, we're, we're getting, you know, we're getting through it. We're working through it. But it, it's important to sit with this discomfort. And it's important mm-hmm. that we know these things so we learn from them. Yep. Right? In the future. Yep. 100%. Mm-hmm. So because, you know, doctors still didn't really know how things worked down there, <laughs> they, had to, <laughs> they had to do a lot of experimenting and trial and error to figure out what could possibly stop a woman from getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. So... Sanger really wanted like a very discreet form of birth control that a woman could take in private. Nobody else would know, right? But she could kind of be in control of her own destiny. She met with um, a biologist, Gregory Pincus, who specialized in mammal reproduction. I know his name is funny. <laughs> that Everything about this, Pincus, mammal reproduction. <laughs> like what? 
Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess you figure they experimented on animals first, yeah. right? Yeah. So she asked him if, if he could create a cheap birth control pill. So he said, I'll try. Oh, my God. No problem, lady. Yeah. So his saying, yeah, sure, I'll give it a try. That would become the 20th century's most insane medical and scientific experiment on human beings. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <gasps> All right. So uh, Pincus began his work, I think, in the 50s. So maybe this is even later than I was thinking at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh, he ended up working with an obstetrician. And uh, they worked in secret because this was all very illegal at this point to figure out if it was possible to use progesterone mm-hmm. to prevent pregnancy in women. And they found out that it worked in rabbits and rats. So why not just test it in, in people now? It's fine. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> they needed to like hold some trials to find out. So in their eyes, Puerto Rico was the perfect place to do it because they were right in the midst of this huge population boom because there was, you know, no birth control and there was so much poverty. So it was also home to birth control clinics that had once been funded by the U.S. government, right? We said in these factories. So the infrastructure was there. Mm-hmm. Oh Which, by the way, I believe that that U.S. aid stuff was all under the New Deal program. Ugh. <laughs> oh, God, New Deal. <laughs> On top of having these birth control clinics, um, or they used to have these birth control clinics, but now those old clinics were being run by Procter and Gamble heir Clarence Gamble. Mm. Lovely. Who was a big <laughs> eugenics guy, too. He was all for eugenics. <laughs> Good. So, so Gamble was like, yeah, come on to Puerto Rico and use these clinics and let's just test it out on some people and see what happens. Gamble believed that Puerto Ricans and others living in poverty should be wiped out to make room for more fit members of the population. Mm. And he felt that creating a birth control pill would be the perfect way to, you know, make his vision come to fruition. Oh, my God. So oh. um, Gamble had already been part a big part of the mass sterilization program that mm-hmm. we discussed earlier, um, you know, encouraging women to use sterilization as a form of birth control. So uh, he figured, let me just hop on this new birth control train and see. See how many more women I can stop from reproducing. Good Lord. G- Gamble and Pincus figured educated women didn't want to try this out, right? They would f- worry about the side effects. They would ask too many questions. Their husbands would ask too many questions, you know? So we, we need, need a test- bunch of dummies. Jeez. <laughs> it's so bad. So they, they decided they needed to test on less educated people who basically had no other choice and were desperate yeah. for some kind of birth control. So they focused on that group of people for their clinical trials, and they Goodness. mainly recruited from the poorest areas of San Juan, beginning mm-hmm. in 1955. So now we start the trial. Oh, jeez. Uh, women who took the drug were told that it prevented pregnancy, but they were not told it was experimental. They were not told they were participating in a clinical trial. They were not given safety information. They were not given product information, and they were not given possible side effects. Great. Yeah. And women did experience serious side effects, most namely blood clots and extreme nausea. Mm. And apparently women did step forward to describe their side effects, but they were discounted as unreliable. (laughs) 
those hysterical women and their blood clots. They're the worst. So, I mean, this is nothing new, right? So, nope, nope. We're used to that. But despite the, you know, side effects, they found out that it does prevent pregnancy. Okay. Great. Um, (laughs) It also, you know, caused all these crazy side effects. But the, the scientists felt that side effects like blood clots, nausea, depression, these things were no big deal. And women could deal with that. Women could totally deal with that. Not a problem. Jeez. So they, they they really did not research the side effects that happened, that occurred at all. Oh, goodness. So Enovid was finally approved for sale in mainland U.S. in 1957. So only two years after this clinical trial started. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, goodness. Don't you think that if you're going to start selling something to not a bunch of people who you don't care about and just would like to banish from the face of the earth. Don't you think you want to know what the possible problems are with the thing you're about to sell to the the good people? Like, so that, like, you don't, like, no, because they're still women. They're, they're women. They, they're, you know, they make a big deal out of everything and they're hysterical and Oh, I I forgot to mention that after they did the trial on the women in Puerto Rico, they then did a second trial of um, people in mental institutions against their will and with no knowledge. Oh, good. Men and women. Oh, lovely. (laughs) So, yeah. We'll just see what happens when a man takes this. We'll just see. Who cares? It doesn't matter because, oh, my gosh. It's so insane. Yeah. Oh, but, but despite all of this, in 1957, when it hits, you know, the U.S. market, it is an instant hit. Of course. Women are willing to go through all the side effects, blood clots, spotting, depression, you name it, yeah. in exchange for something that is discreet and cheap and, um, you know, there's easy access to it. Mm-hmm. So in 1960, Enovid was approved. Oh, in 1957, it was approved as like a, um, it was for symptoms, like, oh, a heavy period or like, you know, things like that. Okay. But in 1960, it was officially a yeah. contraceptive. Yeah. Um, so that was when things really changed. But the sad thing is that the birth control pill, they have decreased the amount of hormones in it a mm-hmm. lot yeah. from then. But essentially, it's pretty much the same thing. Anyway, that's my story. Goodness. I think more people should know it. Yeah. And yeah. We, we should be grateful for the pill that we have, but we mm-hmm. should know how we got here. Yeah. Yeah, and and we should always be asking for better. Yes. Better ways of getting what we need and also just like better, better stuff. <laughs> I don't even know how to segue into into our like goodbyes. If you have any stories that are more uplifting than today's research we would love something to lift us up uh you can you could send us an email at opdwpodcast at gmail.com we can also hear all of your stories on our facebook page or on twitter or instagram at opdwpodcast so yes come and find us we love hearing stories and talking to all of you interacting with you is a joy and a pleasure So thank you for being here. Yes, thank you. And our music is by Theo Rosenberg, who is going to Drexel University. (gasps) I know. Yes. Yes. I would 
for like music production. I know you did. Oh my God. I'm so happy. That's great. Good for him. Yes. So congrats. Yeah. Congrats, man. All right, Diane. Until next time. You're probably in an experiment right now and you don't even know it. 